internet. Hi, everybody. Mike and Andy here. The World Vox Headquarters, Brea, California. Um, it's winter uh, in California, which means it's 65 and sunny. And so uh, all the Californians have been wearing their scarves and uh, mittens and, uh, and coats. It is so funny. It is so funny. And I cannot help but every year just kind of poke at it just a little bit. It's so beautiful. What, what is considered a warm spring day in every other part of the world is here frigid mm. and a cause for uh, the, the, um, the, the donning of all sorts of warm weather clothing. Oh, yeah. 16 years ago, at the heartbeat of my emo hardcore scene commitments, I would have uh, gloves with cut off fingertips and scarves yes. and, and, and long sleeve sweater and all kinds of but that wasn't nonsense. Just a, but that just wasn't a weather statement, though. That was a like there was there was, there was a, another statement. There is a, a fashion subculture that heavily played a part of all of that. There, so it's sixty two right now. It is sixty two and sunny in Brea for a high of sixty eight. So it's a little chilly, a little <laughs> chilly here today, gang. So we'll we'll Watch see out if for we that can frostbite. Make, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if we can make do. Um, okay, so a couple of, uh, of housekeeping items. First of all, um, 47 of you have joined us on Patreon, uh, uh, and that is absolutely, I am totally blown away and surprised. I think it is fantastic. We are so excited um, that, that you would invest and participate in the, the podcast in that way. I mean, that's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. So we're stoked. And then, and then we got an email from, from somebody that just said, Hey, I'd love to support you beyond the Patreon thing. What do you need? Yeah. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for being willing to do that. Um, so if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, um, and you look for the Vox Podcast, that's where we're at. We're also located on voxpodcast.com. And as we always say, we have this uh, church that has grown out of the podcast, and, um, and that's at voxoc.com. Now, now um, last, last uh, episode, we talked, we waded into some murky waters about uh, whether or not we can de- agree to disagree uh, mm-hmm. around LGBTQ issues, and I and I and I got some I got some heartbreaking, um, thoughtful, beautiful feedback about when I f- just throw around the phrase "I believe in the traditional view," and let people come up with their own interpretation of what that is. Folks in the LGBTQ community will hear that, um, and, or could potentially hear that as something I don't intend for for that shorthand to convey yeah so so i had some really wonderful very tender kind but sad people you know asking for clarification what what do you mean by this and uh, we don't we're not going to do that today um but but i realized the problem of that sort of shorthand uh because the the folks i was trying to to really talk talk with were the ones saying um, there's no room here to agree to disagree. And so, so in my mind, I was aiming at that community without realizing our, our, our community um, is so much wider and deeper yeah. and broader than that. And so I'm sorry that that shorthand let uh, either hurt or um, let people kind of read into whatever they, they understand the tradition of you to be. So, so that was a good lesson. That was mm. a great lesson for me, and I won't use that. I won't use that shorthand anymore, um, which you know, which opens up now a whole bunch of. Well, if what, what do you mean, Mike, by the traditional view when you use it, but don't want people to read into it? What What do you mean? Oh, yeah. So, so that's yeah, yeah. a that's a fascinating conversation for another day. Okay. Um. But uh, so so thank you for those who who consistently on Facebook or privately, um, you know, just provide all sorts of thoughts. I mean, we 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 do. Uh, genuinely love the conversation, and that's why we 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 try to interact so much more than we used to around emails we get or comments we get or articles we get sent, uh, because you shape the conversation in really interesting ways. Um, and this is another example today. Some stuff I want to get into today that we haven't touched on oh yet. Oh boy! Right. This is. Wait. What have we not touched on? Yet? Oh yeah, this one. <laughs> We've not touched on this one. So this. All right. This podcast is going to be ridiculously teachy. Um, ridiculously uh, thick and uh, tons of nuance. Now, the difference between the book format, which I've I've written a few books, one of them, two of them are good, um, out of five. So that's not too bad. 
um, thread rewrite in a heartbeat. Um, but you should ha- you should have them all. You should totally buy them all because they're all incredible. Um, <laughs> uh, Which we'll post today at the Vox Podcast. Yeah, seriously, seriously. <laughs> well, you you need to read them all to determine which two I really like. Yeah. Um, uh, the difference between a book format or a sermon format; those are a bit more precise. So, if I were writing a journal article, if I were if I were um, if I were writing a book. Um, when we get into these t- difficult topics, you know, you're footnoting, you're disclaiming, you're, um, you're, you're being very precise in your language. I don't manuscript our podcasts, shocking. And, um, and so, so th- there's, I do, I do, so I do a lot of prep work, but I don't manuscript. And so, um, when we get into these really controversial issues, I will always at the end of the podcast, just think, oh my goodness, I should have said this. And did I make that clear? And, you know, you open yourself up for all sorts of misunderstanding. Um, so I'm claiming right now the, the genre specific rules that govern podcasts versus, um, written books or like technical sermons. Yeah. So, so this is a conversation. This isn't a final word. These are some thoughts I have about a very controversial topic. All right. All right. And so, Andy, one of the reasons why I love having you in the room um, is that these all hit you fresh. You never know what we're going to talk about, um, and uh, and so I always I always am um, hopeful. You're you're as you're processing, you're you're raising things that are kind of in real time that are going through the minds of other people. Okay. Um, so, got an uh, got an email from um, from a brother of uh who who and i don't mean brother like in jesus i mean the brother of a brother um who had shared one of our podcasts and it opened up some really interesting conversation now this to me is what the genius is about podcasting um not our genius but just the podcasting medium it is so much easier it's like podcasting is the new inviting to church it used to be you know in the glory days of the mega church era you know it'd be like hey why don't you come to church with me it's kind of like that that was the big invite right because everyone was looking for a community to be a part of right now uh the the stories that are so fun for me are the stories where you know my brother has this group that he discusses these with or um, or in this case, I get an email from somebody who said, Hey, I shared one of the podcasts with my brother and, um, I, cause I, have been worried that it's, I don't want to be too Christiany and, and I, and I was, and, and then it generated just good conversation between the two of them. And I emailed the one, I said, Hey, can I share a bit of this backstory? And he said, of course, because, um, uh, the one brother that emailed me shared, a podcast with his other brother and that's opened up conversation. The other brother had said, Hey, I'd love to hear some thoughts around the perceived exclusivism around Christianity. Okay. So the, the whole Jesus being the only way, you know, kind of conversation, the perceived exclusive uh, exclusivity of Christianity slash religion as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, dang, that's not something we've done anything on. So, uh, brothers from the same mother, um, let's, 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 let's do a bit of talking around this. Now, this is where, um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm pulling from Dallas Willard and N.T. Wright and Mike Erie. And, uh, and so, so none of this is footnoted. These are just thoughts that have kind of, uh, have accumulated over the course of years. So let's talk about the issue of pluralism, right? Pluralism is um, the understanding that we live in and work and um, and engage uh, uh, in a plurality of different believings, particularly around religious things. Uh, from from there is no such thing as God to nope, there's a God and that God is creation to nope, there's a God that God is separate from creation. I mean, just the broad, beautiful swath of human belief about religion uh we live in a pluralistic culture now that has raised uh increasingly the 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 further away the united states moves from being a monolithic culture with some sort of uh judeo-christian you know roots um the the more this becomes an issue because uh the traditional view on this is well jesus is the only way to heaven and unless you believe in jesus you will go to hell and it, and it falls into that story we talked about a couple episodes ago where you live on earth, 
Um, and uh, what you do on earth determines your eternal destiny. And the eternal destiny turns out to be around the person of Jesus. And, and so the, all of the questions you know, that naturally raise, what about those who've never heard of Jesus? And what about those who don't get an accurate view of Jesus? I mean, the, the, the kid that was molested by the Catholic priest or, or the, the televangelist that, that had an affair, um, what, what, are those pictures of Jesus that we're held accountable for? I mean, you get into all these just incredibly huge and massive conversations. So... Let's spend a little time, um, if it's all right with you, Andy, uh, on on uh, <laughs> on on how do we how do we think about this? How do we think about this? Because on the one hand, um, Christians claim, and and most adherents of religion claim to have knowledge. In other words. Um, uh, we're not just claiming belief. We're not just claiming blind faith. No, we're, we're claiming as a piece of religious knowledge, uh, that Jesus was in fact, um, he, he lived, uh, in fact, the, the, the testimony about him is, is captured in some sort of accurate form in the four gospels. And that is a matter, matter of history. He rose from the dead. That's the standard evangelical line. And we claim those aren't just articles of faith, but that those are pieces of knowledge that you can actually have an interactive relationship with God um, through his son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. The, these aren't the, the Christian, the, the standard Christian line isn't that these are, are just wishful thinkings. These are actually pieces of reality. Now, Loads of people will counter and say, no, 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 religion and knowledge don't belong in the same sentence, right? Knowledge comes from science. Knowledge comes from um, sensory input. Knowledge comes from uh, the application of, of, of different aspects of the scientific method. It certainly does not come from religion. <laughs> knowledge does not come from religion. So they would, they would depart the plane, you know, right there immediately. So when you get to issues of, of pluralism, you're, you're embedded also in issues of epistemology. How do we know something's true? And issues of knowledge. Is, is moral belief or religious belief properly called knowledge? Hmm. Or is it simply belief um, that has to do with sentiment or tradition or some sort of blind commitment? Not only that, if, if religious believing is an issue of knowledge, then you have built-in exclusivism which is the opposite of pluralism. Exclusivism is, um, it, it, it's called logical exclusivism. It's, um, it's uh, when you say something is, um, that something is red, um, that logically means that it is not white, it is not black, it is not gray, it is not brown. Um, logical exclusivism is anytime you claim to have a piece of knowledge, anything that claims to have knowledge that disagrees with that is automatically wrong. Mm. So, so yeah. when you get to pluralism conversations, uh, if Christians will say, well, if Christianity is true, then by definition, not because Christians are arrogant, um, or uh, although a lot of us are, or hypocrites, or although a lot of us are, or self-righteous, though a lot of us are, uh, it's because there there is is simply um, in virtue of something being true, that means that the the things that don't affirm that truth are automatically false. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. so when we talk about pluralism, um, often we start, we, we confuse um, pluralism with this form of exclusivism. And, and what I mean by that is this, to, to say that I think another religion is false does not mean that everything about that religion is false. Um, it just means that that because I affirm a truth elsewhere, and and this piece of believing over here uh, is contrary to what I affirm, then there is a natural exclusiveness to truth. That's okay. that's part of the issue. Makes sense? Am yeah. I, am I, okay. am I yeah. I track with that. So so there is a weak form of pluralism that people can affirm that says yes, there's truth in in every religion. No one religion has exclusive rights to truth. There is truth in every religion. Okay? okay. So that's a that's the weak form of pluralism that that kind of honors the logical exclusivity of if something's true, then that means other things are false. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is a strong form of pluralism that I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of people hold this in theory, but it's tough in practice. And the strong form of pluralism is is seriously all religions end up to the same place, and it, it is of no consequence uh, 
what, what, what you believe now. It is of absolutely zero consequence because they all end up in the same place. Now, whether that place is a good place or whether that place is, well, they're just all wrong. That's another, that's another topic for discussion, but strong pluralists um, will typically say either all religions are false or all religions are part of the same elephant. We're just one, one person's feeling the trunk while the other person's feeling the, mm. the leg and the other person's feeling the tusk. And, um, and so, so biblically as, as an evangelical Jesus follower, and I hate using those terms altogether, um, these days anyway, um, I can affirm the weak form of pluralism that I think that there, there is truth all over the place. Um, but I have a harder time affirming the strong view of pluralism, which is that it doesn't matter. That right. there, there's simply, whether it's on an epistemological basis, moral basis, there, it, it just simply does not matter what you believe. Uh, that's where I go. No, I don't think I can affirm that as a Jesus follower. But I can't affirm the weak view. And I, so I want to put forward something um, uh, that Dallas Willard calls the Christian view of pluralism. Now, now I'm, I'm not um, representing Dallas well, nor am I claiming to improve on his work. Um, but this is how I think about it in the hope that maybe you and your brother and uh, other brothers and sisters out there will be able to get into some good discussions about it. Mm. All right. Okay. So I have five pieces of the beginnings of a construction of how, how should Christians see, uh, the truth claims, the competing truth claims of other religions, the, the truth, competing truth claims of, um, of the atheists and the agnostics among us, you know, so on, so on, so on. When it comes to the question of, well, is Jesus the only way? Do I have to be a Christian to be acceptable before God? I mean, all of those deep questions. All right, are we with me so far? Yeah. So um, so the, all of this up till this point was intro and sort of background so that I can use shorthand around logical exclusivism, um, uh, pluralism, um, and so on. So first, uh, a Christian view of pluralism begins first and foremost with love of neighbor. In other words... Um, we treat everybody else the way we would want to be treated. So if we insist on religious freedom, then we must fight for religious freedom for all forms of religion. Correct? Not just our form. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We, uh, if we insist on being heard, listened to, and respected, then uh, we must also make room for um, those of uh, uh, other or non-religious viewpoints to be heard, listened to, and respected. We insist on being honored. Uh, we must give honored. I mean, it's it's basic, but but it gets lost in the middle of who's right, who's wrong, who wins, who loses. You know, are we at war with Islam? Or are we at war with a part of Islam? I mean, it's all all of that gets lost in the very clear, simple Jesus command to love your neighbor as yourself. So your Muslim neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, your non-affirming um, neighbor, your affirming neighbor, your I mean, just whatever. Love of neighbor is the baseline for anything else that we do, right? We treat people the way we would want to be treated. So that's piece number one. Piece number two uh, is, and we've talked about this one, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It's that we recognize there's truth um, and we claim truth wherever we find it. So so, so the Bible doesn't con- contain all truth. Uh, the standard Christian view is it contains truth, but it doesn't contain all truth. It doesn't con- contain mathematical truth. It doesn't address lots of moral issues. Um, it does not um, It does not tell us anything about what was happening in the Far East uh, during the biblical time or in the Americas, contrary to what our Mormon brothers think. Um, you know, there's, there's we, we, we would just simply say that um, if it's true, if it's good, if it's beautiful, ultimately it can be traced back to God. So, so I don't have to look at my my Muslim brother or sister and say, "Hey, I believe everything that you believe is false. It's it's of the devil. It's wrong. It's demonic. I mean, whatever." Right? Um, no, no. I think there's a, there's a bunch we could affirm. I think that um, it, same with Buddhism, right? The 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 one of the noble truths is that life is out of joint, and and the source of its out of jointness is desire. Oh man, how profound is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, can we affirm that? Of course we can affirm that. So so to me, the, the Bible gives us great permission to affirm truth wherever we find it. 
so so these two are just kind of heart postures that we have towards other people. Number one, we affirm whatever we can affirm wherever we can affirm it, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, according to James. Um, and so we affirm we affirm goodness and truth and beauty wherever we come across it. And we do so out of love of neighbor. We want our neighbors to flourish. We want them to, uh, we want to build towards the common good. We want them to be treated the way we would ourselves would want to be treated. And even if they are turn out to be our enemies, we're still called to love, serve, and bless them. So, so there is no excuse for self-righteousness, arrogance, hypocrisy when it comes to this conversation. Even if you hold the view that, yes, Christianity is right, it is exclusively right, nothing else measures to the same level of rightness, um, the, 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 the way we hold that view uh, is to be very Jesus-like. Now, are you with me? I just saw your face say maybe you had something to say. Is that true? I did. I mean, I have thoughts in my head, but they're not worth contributing at this time. Some would say that's true most often. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll, we'll be the judge of that once we hear those thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the first thing was I think it's it, I think it's posture of opinion. It's like thinking, oh, is it is it when we look at other religions, is it reasonable for us to think that they're just in, they're incomplete views or skewed views of similar truths. I mean, I think I think those are just subjective yeses in different ways. But yes, um, yes, that's interesting. That's interesting. Let's let's yeah. see if we come back to that. Okay. So so how should we look at the 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 perceived exclusivism of Christianity? All right. So first, love of neighbor is key. We recognize truth, beauty, and goodness wherever we find it. Now now that that. That one is actually controversial in some circles. So we don't have time to defend it, but you can go and listen to our Bible podcasts several months ago. And we talk about how Paul and others were constantly pulling um, from knowledge beyond their covenant traditions um, and, and, and using it to argue for the sake of this Jesus. Now, here's where we get a little thick, all right? God's concern, this is, this is piece number three, God's concern has always been for the nations, in other words, um, uh, why was Israel chosen uh, for the sake of the nations? Why did Jesus come for the sake of the nations? So I want to build a bit of a theology around the nations um, to show that this God, God's heart has always been for the nations. It's never just been for his people. His people exist for the sake of the mm, nations. Right. So, um, so uh, the first command, of course, is have sex, fill the earth. Hallelujah. Um and that, uh, and that, um, the 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 nations were to be blessed. So God calls Abram um, out of a nation, and He sends them into a land that He doesn't know, and says, "I will build you into a great nation. I will bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless." And then there's this beautiful line: "All the nations on earth will be blessed through mm-hmm. you." So, so the very first part of the story isn't let me rescue souls and get them into heaven. It's about the blessing of the nations. And this thread goes throughout the scriptures. So, so one of the things that's affected by the entrance of sin and death into the world in Genesis um, 3 through Genesis 11 are the nations and their relationships with each other. Now, the nations, of course, back then weren't like nations today. So maybe they were little city states or maybe they were, you know, a bit of regional power. But even then, the Bible records the fracture of the nations, um, result, you know, resulting ultimately in God's judgment of them in Genesis 11, where he disperses them and scatters them with different languages. And we can talk about what that exactly yeah, means. That happened, and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, you start with a theology saying, no, no, God's intent was to bless the nations. And he, he intended to bless them after they've been fractured by sin and death and um and the earth had been filled with violence. So now the nations, um, they live, uh, as we see thousands of years later, in a state of violent hostility and division mm. towards one another, right? So right. war, um, the number of wars that, are, that ha- have happened in the last 20 years, I mean, it's just astronomical. But those are, those are warrings between nations. So evidence of the sin and fracture of Shalom um, is on how the nations now relate to each other. Make sense? Yeah. So God, God then intends... To repair the nations, not just the earth, not just individual souls, but the nations. And so you have three times in the book of Genesis, the nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. The nations will be blessed through you. The nations will be blessed to you. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. 
um, part of their corporate existence was to be a magnet to the nations to show how beautiful it was to live under the kingship of Yahweh. So that was their purpose. Their purpose wasn't just, hey, you're chosen because I like you more, or hey, you're chosen, you're the in crowd. No, no, it was chosen for the sake of being a magnet to draw the nations to God. Hmm. The problem was that that magnet became uh, very ineffective. And in fact, God judges Israel so harshly because he says, you've actually become more corrupt than the nations around you. (laughs) And so he sends the nation of Israel into exile among who? The nations. And he allows the nations to come and to pillage Israel. And so, but it's all nation stuff, right? The concern here is the nations. As Israel is in exile... The promises written by the prophets are that God is going to restore not only Israel, but the nations to the to their shalom. So you get a passage like Isaiah, um, where Isaiah chapter 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established on the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his path. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will take their weapons of war and beat them into weapons of farming. Right? That's one of the most epic promises or Jeremiah. Mm. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. Or uh, Psalm 86, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. So the king, the, the, God's concern is with the nations, not just his covenant people. His covenant people exist for the sake of the nations, right? So, so we flip that just like Israel did. Israel thought their election as God's chosen people meant their uniqueness, their specialty, their exclusivity, their whatever, when in fact it was just the reverse. Yeah. God keeps reminding them, I chose you because you were the least of all nations, so that the, that, so that the weak would shame the strong, so that the have-nots would, would shame the haves, right? He always chooses the weakest mm-hmm. things to work through. So Israel was the weakest, and there was nothing unique and special about them. So, so any trace of the posture towards the nations that comes from superiority, self-righteousness, exclusivity is anti-Jesus. Because mm. um, if you're a Jesus follower, you exist for the nations. That's You don't exist for you. You don't exist for your family. You don't exist for your personal growth or quiet time. You exist for the sake of the nations. You, wow. are, you are to be a magnet, right? What's Jesus say? You are salt and light. You are to exist as a magnet in mm. community Right? The same vocation given to Israel is now given to the church as a community that's a, a magnet for people to say, oh, the reign of Jesus as Lord is actually a flourishing, freeing, wonderfully beautiful thing. But we have the same problem. The church now obscures the beauty of Jesus as much as Israel obscured the beauty of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. But I want you to see that before anything else, God's concern is with the nations. And it's not just with this one small tribe he calls out of human history. Make sense? Okay. So this is a huge point. Yeah, it's massive. And thank you. Welcome. So am I. Now, <laughs> Jesus, oh, this is so beautiful. Jesus runs into a, um, a Roman centurion. And, um, and, and the Roman centurion has like four strikes against him. Number one, um, he's a Gentile. Um, and, uh, he's, he would be by some of the Jews of, of the day, or at least later considered a dog, considered unworthy of, you know, inheritance to God, any of God's promises. Um, number two, he was part, he was part of the terrorizing occupying force. Um, number three, he was Roman and number four, he was a soldier, um, but not just any soldier, a centurion, a commander. And he comes up and he says to Jesus, my servant lies in terrible suffering. Can you come heal him? Jesus, at this point, very early in his ministry, had a reputation as a healer. So Jesus looks at him and says, sure, shall I come to your house and heal him? Now, that totally transgresses, 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 there it is, uh, (laughs) Jewish sensitivities, because a, a clean and proper rabbi should never go into the house of a Gentile and maintain his ritual purity. The, the, the centurion perhaps notices this and says, no, 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 I don't, I don't deserve to have you come into my roof. Uh, just say the word and my servant will be healed, right? However many feet, miles, cubits away this was, right? The, 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 the Roman centurion knew that Jesus had authority and, mm-hmm. and, and he knew 
Jesus had authority because the centurion has authority. So mm-hmm. he's like, I, I, I know how authority works. I say to this soldier, come here and they come here and I say, go and they go. So Jesus, you have that same kind of authority, but you have it over disease. And so Jesus stops and he says, truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. <laughs> right? How offensive is that if you're a Jewish follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah. And he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. And, the, and, then, and then in another version of the parable, it's from the north and the south also. And they will take their places at the feast with Abraham at the end of the age. Um, in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom of heaven will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now think about what Jesus has just said. What Jesus has just said is he's borrowed on that whole prophetic tradition about the nations to say to the Jews, all right, here is an example of the kind of faith that I've always been looking for. And he is actually the foretaste, the appetizer, the precursor of what will happen at the feast at the end of the age. See, for, for the Jews, the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was, that, was the he- that, that was their heaven. That was God is going to remake the world and you were feast. It is a wedding feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs. And, uh. and so Jesus, Jesus comments, I've not found such great faith in Israel from this Roman centurion soldier. And then says, I tell you, they're going to be a lot more like him sitting around the table. And all of you who think you're in, man, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. So Jesus does two things. Brilliant. Number one, God's concern, even in Jesus, is for the nations and that many will come from the nations. But then secondly, the theme of judgment is always tied in Jesus' teaching with the theme of surprise Hmm. and reversal. Mm-hmm. Who you think is in isn't always in, and who you think is out is certainly not out. And it will be very surprising. So Jesus tells stories about sheep and goats who didn't know that their acts of service were actually done to Jesus, where, whereas the, the folks that refused to do acts of service were actually rejecting Jesus. Jesus tells a story about the rich man who, who lived in luxury on earth and the poor man who lived with sores outside of his gates. But, but in, the, in the age to come, um, their fortunes are reversed. I mean, Jesus is always talking about the reversal of fortune, the surprise, the first will be last, the last will be first. You'll be shocked. But in this instance, he uses the nations. And the nations around Israel this time were Assyria and Egypt and Rome and Babylon. Yeah. And so these are four classic enemies and oppressors of Israel. So when you think of those directions, those are the nations you're thinking of. And Jesus is looking you straight in the face saying, there will be people there from there. People in the kingdom of God from these places. I mean, yeah. and you're just like, oh my goodness. And then if that weren't enough, um, you have this picture at, at the last book of the Bible in Revelation 21, where it says... Um, there is the tree of life, which is uh, a, a reference to a tree that was in Eden. And that its leaves, it says this very specifically, its leaves are for the healing of the nations, which one of my favorite lines. Now, my point, see, some would think, well, what's this have to do with anything? This, The reason there'll be so many people coming to, so from every tongue and tribe and nation, is because Christian evangelists have done their work. That's the reason. And I'm like, absolutely, I, I have no problem with, with people sharing their faith. And, and some of the ways we've done it, I have problems with. But in terms of like, no, I mean, we're to be witnesses to yeah. the, the, the glory and the power and the reality of the Lord Jesus. Okay, great. I have no, no doubt about that. But this is piece number four. Yeah, you're on four. And this is where it gets a little, gets a little sketchy um, that God does not require his covenant people to draw people to himself. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, so, so that, um, uh, as Rob, Rob Bell famously asked in his very controversial book, love wins. Well, what happens if the missionary gets a flat tire? You know, what happens if, if, if a culture has never been reached, what happens to all the people before Jesus and all the people after Jesus who did, who never heard of him? I mean, what about all those people? Right. What about the people that have horrible caricatures of Jesus because of what Christians have done? What about all right. those people? Yeah. So, so piece number four, so piece number one is love of neighbor. Number two is we affirm truth wherever we find it. Piece number three 
is that we affirm beyond a shadow of a doubt um, that that God is interested in the nations, not just in his narrow slice of, of followers. Mm-hmm. And that God moves beyond the boundaries of his covenants, of his covenant people. Now, we have no problem affirming this with the Old Testament, right? Because we have clear examples. We have... Uh, Jonah being sent to the Ninevites um, mm. uh, and the entire city repented. We have Ruth, who um, as a Moabitess um, um, uh, gets, goes to Israel and, um, and you know, it gets listed in the genealogy of Jesus. You, you've got Melchizedek, this strange character yeah. <laughs> in, who's a priest of Yahweh, um, yeah. who Abraham comes across. Yeah. And you're like, what? And you have, you have countless examples. You have, you have even some books just being reminded that outside of God's dealing with Israel, God is doing stuff on the human stage right. beyond Israel. Right. right. That is so unbelievably important. Second Chronicles puts it this way. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Boom. So, you know, even when they're dedicating the temple, you know, Solomon will pray, God, when the nations come here, please receive them. I mean, there was an awareness that, yes, God was uniquely relating to Israel, but that unique relationship was for the nations and that God was relating to the nations directly himself. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yeah. This is a very... Very important point, because uh, over and over and over again, we we read that God is declaring himself through nature. We read God is declaring himself through revelation. We read that God is pursuing people for pursuing worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, and, And that God, more than anything, is looking for a certain kind of heart. And so, so Isaiah, you know, these are the ones I look on with favor uh, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. Now, obviously, he means that in the covenant context. But but as we'll see, there's a bigger context to all of those words, too. See, the, the issue is um, that that God very clearly calls his, his called people to be mirrors, um, to be magnets, to be witnesses. No question about it. But, but that God doesn't wait for them um, because they've always been part of the problem. God doesn't wait for them um, uh, to get their act together before he starts reaching and pursuing and relentlessly um, um, calling out uh, to people no matter where they are, no matter where they've come from. And one of the best examples of this, several examples of this come from the book of Acts. When the gospel, the movement of Jesus gets translated from its Jewish roots to a Gentile Hellenistic context, you keep coming across people who God has already been working with, right. but he's sending messengers to now. So the, the classic example is of a guy named Cornelius. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it's incredible. He was a Roman, again, another Gentile. Um, and Cornelius receives a vision. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, a guy named Peter, who was very zealously Jewish, received a vision that somehow they should both meet and that Peter should explain the way of Jesus to Cornelius, um, at Cornelius's house, which is a huge deal. Yeah. So, um, so Cornelius says to Peter three days ago, so Peter makes this journey and it's a huge deal in the book of Acts. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, this is Cornelius talking, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Now, this is before Cornelius has heard anything about Jesus. Yeah. Right? So this is God relating to Cornelius outside, right, of the this particular Jesus m- movement. Yeah. But now, because Cornelius has a certain kind of heart, God sent Peter to go. Um, and, uh, and he said, um, I heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor, send to Joppa, which was a city down the road for Simon, who was also called Peter. He's the house of Simon, the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. It was good for you to come. Now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Here's Peter's response to that speech. Um, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, because this, this issue, 
think about this. The major issue, see this, this conversation that Peter has with Cornelius provokes the very Jewish Jerusalem church to say, what the heck are you doing? And Peter has to go and defend himself back in Jerusalem about going to the house of this Gentile and seeing the Holy Spirit fall on this Gentile and the unmistakable blessing of God on this Gentile. And he has to go back and now explain what, what was this. And so he tells him about the vision. But this sets up a controversy that happens uh, a few chapters later when there were Jewish people from Jerusalem insisting the only way to worship the Jewish Messiah was to become Jewish. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. So so the early so so the earliest followers of Jesus struggled with the issue of whether or not people could be acceptable to God if they were not Jewish. Okay. Um, the question, the pluralism question, is: um, Can people be acceptable to God if they're not explicitly Christian? So you just go, okay, well, how, how many mm. parallels can there be here? Um, you know, an acceptable Jew what, weren't just the right Jewish beliefs, but it was circumcision and observance of the law and the Sabbath and and the, the dietary restrictions, and right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so there were people walking around saying, no, 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 you can only come to Jesus through Judaism. Right. So the question that we're wrestling with is, do you have to come to Jesus through Christianity? And the answer I want to say is no. Now, what Jesus, what what God will do, in my view, is um, is that God will either reveal Himself to you directly, or call someone to come, um, and uh, and um, and to share explicitly, right. um, like Cornelius, right? That was right. pretty epic. But but you hear, and I've talked to Muslims. Who have had dreams about Jesus? Yeah. There, well, there's one specific one you told us like, like a month ago. That was either you read it and the guy like yeah, jumped yeah, on yeah. a plane like that. That story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God revealing in a in a closed off Muslim country that they needed to meet the first white man that came off of at a plane at a certain airport at a certain time, and revealing to a white man who was sitting around going, "Why are none of the other options for my trip working out?" getting the idea that no he needs to show up to this country and he doesn't know why and that 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 whole thing just exploding and you just go okay so 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 does god need christianity to reveal jesus well of course not um and so so the idea that god is at work beyond what is explicitly christian i think is is pretty clearly taught um paul teaches it in romans chapter 2 um, when, and oh my goodness, he's talking about a can of worms here. He's talking about how, um, Jews and Gentiles alike stand, um, unrighteously before God. Okay. So he condemns Gentile culture, pagan culture and one at the end of one. And then he looks at, at the beginning of two and he says, and you who pass judgment on the Gentiles, you are guilty as well. And he begins to build a case against them. Um, but but notice, um, he, oh, gee, these raise so many questions. My goodness, this is so hard. He begins to say, and I know this is a lot of Bible, but holy cow. He says, um, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, God will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Um, which is, gets back to our hell conversation that we're having. Um, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And this is where it gets wacky. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Now, apart from the law is Gentile, with the law or under the law is Jew. So he's saying, listen, we're all condemned equally okay, before God. Um, uh, <laughs> and then he says, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous, but those who obey the law who are righteous. And then he adds this parenthesis that it raises so many questions. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them at other times, even defending them. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. So then 
If those who are not circumcised, Gentiles, keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised, namely righteous Jews? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. (laughs) A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision, circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. Good Lord! Now, do you see what... Oh. So Paul, and, and there's so much debate around this passage, Paul seems to be opening up the idea that it's possible to be acceptable to God apart from uh, Judaism. Right. Okay. Yeah, and he and and he seems to make the point that we've been making, which is God is looking for a certain kind of heart, and that God's God's search is for the for for the hearts, certain kind of hearts of people, hearts that are open, hearts that are humble, whatever it is, and that God will make sure that those people um, are are people who hear, receive, get blessed, get saved, get rescued, get whatever, how, whatever language you want to put it, those people God will relentlessly search for and, uh, and rescue. End of story. Even if it's apart from the covenant workings of a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. <sighs> now, one big disclaimer. I know this is so thick. I'm even feeling it like in the pacing of the podcast. I know it's so thick. One big disclaimer is that Paul's not saying that some such people have deserved their salvation. He he's making the point that all salvation is by mercy. Why? Because all have fallen short. End of story. It's all rescue, it's all grace. But there are ways of determining hearts that are oriented towards the one true God. Right. Right? Regardless of whether or not those hearts are a part of the accepted and chosen religious communities. Right. That's the big point. Yeah. Okay, so so oh my goodness. Okay, I gotta make sure I'm 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 saying this. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah, God does not, it's not merit that's getting us in, it's not deserving that's getting us in. When God talks about what what God does, um, even among flawed efforts to reach him, or even among flawed understandings of what he's like, what's God do? He reaches them. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. It's like so. People will say, "Hey, do, do Mormons go to heaven?" Well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, do 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 Muslims? Do uh, Buddhists? Do uh, Hindus? Well, I'm not prepared. I'm prepared to say that Jesus Christ was put forward as God's agent of reconciliation for heaven and earth and the healing of the nations. How Jesus Christ gets presented beyond the strictures of Christianity, I don't know. All I know is that there's enough hinting that I'm prepared to say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? There's enough hinting yeah, yeah. That, that God is God is God I, is at work in 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 the world among people who have flawed understandings of him, even Christians. Yeah. Correct? I, I I feel like it's actually a positive agenda that God will allow enough mystery and confusion over this matter so that we would not know. Like yes. it, it feels like that kind of intentionality being like it would not be beneficial for you to actually you be able imagine, to understand this. Could yes. You, could you imagine the damage Christians would do? And they have done. Right. With, with categorizing and just, nope, these people are out, these people are in. In the face of massive amounts of warning from the Bible against making those very judgments. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so insane. Right. So, so, so to me, and, and, and then you get Paul, oh my goodness, later in Acts, Paul never goes to pagan nations and suggests that God has nothing to do with them. Okay? Yeah. He never, ever does that. Listen to his... So so in one episode in Acts 14, um, Paul and his companion, I don't remember who it was, they, they heal somebody. And the, the people are so religious, uh, they begin to shout at Paul and I don't remember who, Barnabas, uh, they begin to shout to them, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes. Um, and and they brought bowls and wreaths to sacrifice to the Roman gods. Because Paul and Barnabas had done this in the name of Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Listen to what Paul says. Friends, why are you doing this? 
We too are human just like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That's interesting. So at some point, he let the nations go their own way, but testified about his reality through joy, food, rain, right? Yeah. That's just interesting. Or in Acts 17, when Paul is standing, hold on a second, it just it gets even crazier. When Paul is standing in Athens, all right, the cultural capital, uh, the birthplace of mathematics and philosophy, the hotbed of Epicurean and Stoic debates, Paul gets up there and he says, I walk around, I walked around today and looked at your objects of worship. So he affirms they're worshipers, right? And, and, and some estimate there were 10,000 statues, altars, more than the population of Athens were mm. like altars and places of worship. So Paul said, I walked around, looked carefully at your objects of worship. Worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Um, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this now is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So they worship. So Paul is saying, listen, they've worshipped in ignorance. Now Paul is going to set them straight. Okay? Yeah. But notice how he does it. The God that made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now listen to this. From one man, Adam, he made the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And he did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. <laughs> well, there's a theology of the nations for you, right? Yeah. So, so first piece, love of neighbor. Second piece, we affirm truth wherever we find it. Third piece, I don't remember. Fourth piece. Nations. Nations. Theology of the nations. Fourth piece is God. Because God is so concerned about the nations, he doesn't wait for his people to get their act together. Oftentimes, he's working outside of their strictly religiousness right. uh, and their structures. Fifth one, and this is the most important one, my two brothers. The God revealed in Jesus would never, ever, ever condemn someone to the exile of hell, which is, and we'll talk more about hell, who would have responded uh, to God's invitation. There's nobody that misses it because, ah, uh, you know, it was just by the skin of their teeth or the missionary had the flat tire. There is not, I mean, the God revealed in Jesus wants no one to perish. The God revealed in Jesus is relentless, who will leave the 99 sheep and search for the one, who will search for the lost with the fervor of a woman who loses nine coins and, um, and, and or excuse me, has 10 coins, loses one, puts the nine away and tears her house apart looking for the one coin and, and will receive every single wayward soul as, uh, as a father receives a prodigal son. I mean, th this is the God revealed in Jesus to me. And this is the answer. This is the answer to all. I mean, I realize there's so much theology and so much other stuff. This is the singular answer. The God revealed in Jesus would never be unfair. The God revealed in Jesus would never be unmerciful. The God revealed in Jesus is holy and righteous and just, yes, but at the same time makes ways for people to be reconciled with God. End of story. So I cannot say with any definitive confidence who's in and who's out. The only confidence I'm given is that the God, the God of the earth will do right. The God of the, the God revealed to us in Jesus of Nazareth um, uh, is relentless in his pursuit of every single human person on the planet. End of story. Mm. Uh, I don't know if we get second chances after death. I have no idea. Um, uh, there's some, there's some passages that seem to say no. There's some passages that seem to open it up. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I, I hope everybody ends up in the heavens. I hope every single person, um, gets there after, um, um, uh, God does his purifying work in them. 
You know, so some of us show up in heaven with very large souls. Some of us show up with very small ones. Um, uh, you know, and, and even, you know, even this language isn't right because we're talking about the new heavens and the yeah, new earth and right. God purging evil and so on, so on, so on. But I, but I hope, I hope, and, and I know it's the trite, the tritest answer, but to me, it's the most important. And that's why I wanted to do it last. My confidence in God's love and fairness and goodness does not rest on the Old Testament. It does not rest on people's questions about the Old Testament. It rests on the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, according to Jesus in the New Testament, is the clearest revelation of the Father. So I don't understand how all of it fits together. I don't understand how all of it works. I just know if we're going to approach the question about Jesus being the only way, and we're going to quote verses like, there's no under name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Or Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Great. I have no issue with any of those things. But notice who we're talking about. Jesus is also the word through which the universe was created. Jesus evidently holds all things into being. Jesus evidently is cosmic in nature and scope, as well as particular as a human person. So you you have this you have this 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 consistent tension between God using his covenant people to expand his kingdom and God not being limited by the covenant people to do the work that God wants to do. Right. And, and that but that seems to uh, affirm the idea of cooperative participants. You know, it's kind of like God's like, I'm doing this larger, bigger thing. And the fact that he gave an entryway to have participation, that seems like the grace and blessing. Right. You know, because otherwise he's like, oh, well, I'm going to be doing this work. And it's like, but it would be significantly better that's to have right. those with me that I've created doing it with me. Like that's, that is a, a, such a different picture of love. Otherwise it's just puppeteering. That's right. Because, because God initially intended for the earth to be governed by human persons. Yeah. So when the human persons become fallen... God not only assumes uh, the form of a human person, but then invites the redeemed humans in on the work. Absolutely what you're saying. It's just the problem when the redeemed humans begin to believe that they're indispensable to the work. Yes. And they take a, the, the narrow, high-minded, um, exclusive posture that Israel sometimes embodied mm -hmm. about their being the chosen ones and God having to continually remind them, no, 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 my work is far beyond right? Your authoritative structures. Yeah. And so, so there's a humility and a chastisement that I feel when I think about these things. Because on the one hand, do I think following Jesus of Nazareth leads to flourishing and freedom and liberation and joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I want that for everybody. I literally want that for everybody. I don't want the caricature for everybody. I don't want the narrow, you know, I, I mean, to me following Jesus, it made me bigger and more loving and he's, he's transformed me and just da, 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 da. So all that religious, like I do, I follow Jesus because I, I believe it to the core of my bones. I've tasted it. I felt it. I've seen it. I've studied it. I love it. I have all sorts of questions and doubts that remain unanswered, but it's like marriage. But in spite of all that, man, I just run after this guy over and over and over again and, and would love for every single listener to have a similar experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so on the one hand, that's how passionate I'm about it. But on the other hand, there's a humbleness that says, no, no, no. Jesus never manipulated. He never coerced. He never he never browbeat people. He never threatened them with hell. Um, he never um, he never manipulated them with promises. He invited people, and that was it. Yeah. And then trusted that the Father's always at work. Right. And so so I want to take that same posture. So so hey, can Muslims go to heaven? Uh, sure. Uh, I have no idea. I don't know how it works. The, I do know that the heart that was most closed to Jesus was the religious heart. And so, you know, because people say, well, what about the devout, the devout Muslim or the devout Buddhist or whatever? And you just go, well, sometimes the more devout you are, the more closed off you become. Yeah. So I don't know. The religious heart is the one that seems to have the, the, the most trouble with Jesus. Whereas the scandalous, immoral, and pure heart is the one that seems most open. And, um, and so who, I just have no idea. I just surprise, um, and reversal characterize the judgment. I just would be thrilled if I, if I'm in, I would just be thrilled. I, I want in, I want in, I want to sit at the feast with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. That, that to me sounds pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. So I have enough trouble worrying about me. And the second thing is 
to be able to love my neighbor, um, I engage in something called multi-faith dialogue versus interfaith dialogue. Interfaith dialogue is when we're all trying to minimize our differences so we can maximize our common ground. To me, I'm much more interested in multi-faith dialogue, which is tell me everything about what you think and what you're passionate about. And let's talk about areas of agreement and disagreement both so that neither one of us has to soften or color in order for us to get along. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I don't, I, don't want, I don't want Muslims to have to soften their Islam in order to engage with Christians. Um, in the same way, I don't want I don't want Christians to have to soften their Christianing to engage with other folks from other religions. Love of neighbor does not require univer- uh, uniformity of belief, correct? Mm-hmm. And so, so to me, I find this when I talk to Jewish people, I talk to them as Jewish people, not potential converts, but as Jewish people. Tell, yeah. I'm fascinated by this. Tell me everything, right? When I talk to Muslims, I'm not talking mm. to them. Um, as anything other than Muslims, right. tell me what. Tell me. Um, well, it's funny. I, I thought about this even with like the the our LGBTQ conversation last week. I was just like, when do we stop treating other people like they're our mission field? You know, it's like it's if, if especially in the conversation of the nations and what God is doing in other nations. It almost it, it, there's a sense in me personally that feels like going places and doing exactly what you said in a multi faith conversation allows God to show up a lot differently than thinking I'm going to be the one that fully embodies everything that God is supposed to be. And when I show up, that's when God's there. Right. Yeah. That just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And it, and it radically, see, I just don't see a lot of us approaching culture from a position of peace and grace and security and confidence. I just see us doing a lot of fear, a lot of anger, uh, being threatened. And when you come at people from that space, right, all you can do is attack and defend. And, um, and, and so to me, for me, I try, I try to come from a different space to say, listen, of course, of course, I believe it's true. Of course, I would want everybody to taste what I've tasted. Of course, come on. Yes. But I, but, but that, that conviction does not lead me to beat people up, to shame or blame or, you know, make them afraid or whatever. It leads me to actually just to the reverse, which mm-hmm. is how would I want to be treated? Do I like being the object of evangelism, right? So, 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 so I can hear conservative Christians being upset about this view. Yeah. But then I go, okay, so let's say you have a, a family member who's relentlessly pursuing you to affirm gay marriage. Do you like that? Do you like being nitpicked in or, or guilted in or, hey, you're going to be on the wrong side of history in? I mean, is that, does that work? It doesn't work. And, and, and so if love of neighbor, and that's why we start there, is treating people the, other, the way I would want to be treated, yeah. that means, first, I'm called to live such a, a, a compelling life that I shouldn't have to say a freaking word. Yeah. Secondly, I don't come at people as projects. I don't come at people as witnessing opportunities. I don't come as people as counting or guilt, trying to get God off my back because, oh, here's someone I led to Jesus, right? That's just not how this works. Yeah. I found... I've found the most surprising thing uh, for, for in my life as a as a as a recovering pastor has been that uh, to get to get to know people as a sincere normal human being, genuinely interested and invested in who they are as they are and what they're interested in as they're interested in it will naturally pr- provoke all sorts of wonderful conversations that come from a position of trust and safety rather than this just relentless need um, that people have to to get rescue souls and get them into heaven. God is more interested in your family member, in your children, in your spouse, in your neighbor than you are. So there's a privilege here and, of course, a responsibility. I take the responsibility to be a witness to the resurrected Jesus incredibly seriously. But that, but that responsibility never leads me to, at least it, it, I try not to let it lead me, to a place of superiority, a place of exclusion, a place of whatever. I'm just not in the position to know how God is going to apply Jesus to the world. I don't know. I keep coming across too many Muslims who have dreams of Jesus and come to faith in Jesus, but they're not in Christian contexts. They're still in Muslim contexts. So do they have a relationship with Jesus, right? People will say, Hey, do Catholic, can, can I be saved in the Catholic church? I'm like, really? Nowhere does it say you have to have it all lined up 
before you're acceptable to God. See, this is the result of American believism. So we've made following Jesus about being right. So anyone that's right because of the logical exclusivism of right and wrong, then we have to say everyone else is wrong. I don't see Jesus playing that same thing. I just see him operating. He's looking for a kind of heart, regardless of whether or not your doctrine is perfect. Right? So, will there be Mormons in heaven? I, I wouldn't shock me. Jehovah Witnesses wouldn't shock me. Um, uh, members of um, Afghan, uh, members of Af Afghanistan, tribesmen from Afghanistan to, who, to whom God appeared. Yes, I just will be shocked and surprised at who's in and who's out. So, I think there's a humility and a responsibility in all this. Now, <sighs> frick, that's a lot of talking. Um, next five points. No, no, we are so done. But again, this is where I want to nuance everything and say, da, 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 but then, then there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this. So back to where we started. My two brothers, the one brother that emailed and the other brother that asked, I hope this stirs up some great conversation between the two of you. That's the goal. Um, I am still very much in process on, uh, on so many things convicted of, uh, absolutely convinced on the beauty and majesty of Jesus, but the outworking of all of that, I just, I find it delightful to wrestle and to think and to study and to pray and to be wrong and to whatever else. And so this is joy. I hope it becomes joy for you. It does not have to be, it does not have to be awful um, to sit and have these wonderful conversations. So to the degree something like this helps, we are absolutely honored and thrilled um, and we realize um, that in the podcast form, there's all sorts of things that are still questions and all sorts of nuances we didn't give. Um, but we just are going to leave it here. We're going to drop it like it's hot. Yep. Like Snoop Dogg would encourage us to. And that's why we give you an email. Hello at uh, voxpodcast.com. Yes. It's why you can follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. Yes. Got and it. like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vox Podcast. Bless us. Yeah. And ask more questions. Oh, all right. So. Um, let's, let's close just because it's Christmas time with a little different blessing. All right. Okay. Um, tiny Tim put it best when he said, what's he say? And God bless and God us. God bless us. Every, every single, single one. one. Of us. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. All right. I, I was like, I was like, I was questioning the wording for a second. Um, uh, is that what he says? And God bless us, every says, single one of us? May God bless us, every single one of us. Like, it's emphasized like that. Okay. Well, now we got to look it up. Okay, all right. it weird. I know, seriously. I want to get this right. <laughs> the blessing. Guys, the blessing matters. The blessing matters. Oh, it matters. Yeah, so God bless us, everyone. Oh, I'm tiny. Too. See, I thought it was God bless us, everyone. That, see, that's what's sounding right to me right now. All right. All right, hurry up. It's almost there. Come on. Uh, video quote. God bless us, everyone. God bless. Is us, that what everyone. it is? As a, it looks. That's what the YouTube looks like. It's saying. Nice. You just want to play. Wait, here it is. And okay. So, hold on. Hold on. I think I got. And so, as Tiny Tim said, "A Merry Christmas to us all. God bless us, everyone." There you go. That's hey. I hope that was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about underwhelming. All right, brothers and sisters. God bless us, everyone. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.